when it's a layoff, these workers, they haven't done anything wrong. And so it, it is a very difficult and emotional time. And I would say from the employer standpoint, when these types of events happen to not underestimate the impact of the individuals who are left even after this change. Are you a business leader looking for strategies and tactics to help you navigate leadership and HR challenges as you scale? Each week on While We Were Working, we bring you our 35 plus years of experience doing exactly this for companies just like yours. For more game-changing HR and leadership insights and to connect with us, check us out at whilewewereworking.com. Hey, what's going on? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of While We Were Working. This is episode 53. This week, we are talking all about inflation, uh, different categories of growth uh, from year over year, and how it might impact salaries and a business leader's perspective on the whole work from home versus in-office debate, among other things. And the second category that we're going to talk about uh, is RIFs and how to do it the right way, the ethical way, uh, the honorable way, so that you don't end up on the news like some of our favorite social media sites. As always, I'm Joy Price, the founder of Jumpstart, and I'm joined by our co-host, Summer Keytron. Say hey, Summer. Hi, Joey. Hey, everybody out there. In case you also haven't noticed, we have our very special guest um, in the background here working extremely hard for our podcast, That's Bandit. <laughs> hey, Bandit. Thanks for joining us on the show, soaking up all the good sun and, uh, quite frankly, living the good life that I wish to enjoy uh, at some day where I can just, like, take siestas and uh, wake up and just worry about my next meal. Um, so, all right, Summer, you know, this is uh, episode 53. We are coming uh, on the heels of uh, Thanksgiving. So before we jump into some topics that might be a little heavier, weightier, not quite fun, um, is there anything that you're grateful for in this season? Oh, man, so many things, Joey. I, you know, I totally appreciate you asking. I think I take this time each year to reflect uh, primarily on my family. Um, my health and my safety. Um, and, you know, of course, all of the great work that we get to do on a daily basis. Just so grateful to be able to make an impact. But how about yourself? Oh, you know, it's been a fun year at the firm. Uh, we've, we've grown quite a bit. Uh, we have several new team members who have uh, found their place and uh, called it home and are helping us grow and do some really awesome things. Um, so I'm grateful for our team. Uh, also grateful for my family too. My daughter just celebrated her fourth birthday, uh, my oldest daughter. So uh, it's a lot of fun around here. But, you know, truly any day above ground is a good day. And um, to be in the position to help uh, people live their best life, either on our team or through the work we do with our, our clients, uh, gets me jazzed up, and I'm really, I'm really grateful about that. So that's what I'm, I'm grateful about. There's definitely quite a bit to be grateful for, and and I appreciate you sharing. And uh, 
you know, happiest of birthdays to your little one. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. So let's go ahead and jump into the first segment, which is while we were working. And this week, our episode, uh, our article on the episode comes from Shern. And the topic or the headline reads, inflation rate dips still outpaces average wage gains. So, uh, Summer, could you, in a nutshell, explain what that headline means to us? Absolutely. And I, I think before we dive in, you know, I always love to give credit uh, to the source and author. Um, you you may have heard us mention him before. This is uh, from Stephen Miller um, over at Sherm, and he always writes really great content uh, that is definitely worthy of taking a time to review. And, you know, I must admit this article, I had to read it a few times. And each time I did, I kind of soaked in something new from the, you know, kind of the first and the second read, but it really caught my attention because we've been talking about inflation and uh, wages and how everything is so much more expensive. Uh, and in a nutshell, Joey, um, we look at the consumer price index for all items. And um, in this article, we, we look at them at a point in time, for example, uh, the 12 months ending in October. And the consumer price index during that time rose 7.7%. And when you look at um, that same measure for September, um, it was 8.2%. Uh, so, you know, if you start looking at these numbers, you realize that the rate in which uh, all items are increasing is pretty, like, still pretty substantial. And I say that because on average, like when we look at a long period of like 1960 to like, say, 2021, the average inflation rate was only 3.8%. So without trying to throw too many numbers out there and make it really confusing, the reason why this is important is because uh, these numbers, the inflation um, relative to workers' earnings, when you combine those together, workers are um, seeing an average reduction of their pay, of their take-home pay, in the neighborhood of 2.8%. And that's a frightening number, um, really just to kind of think about as a whole. Yeah, I was doing a quick math on that. So if, let's just make the numbers easy. If it's a 100K salary, that's, uh, your money is less effective um, because it's 2000 $800. It's like getting a $2,800 pay cut. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty concerning. You know, I think everybody has felt the pinch, but it was seeing these numbers and like how, how large they are compared to the average. And then also, you know, this article um, breaks down the year over year inflation by expenditure um, so that you can kind of see the categories where the increases are are happening. And I thought, gosh, that, that would be really cool to talk about because there are some ideas I think we probably have uh, for uh, people leaders on how they might be able to help offset some of the increases in these categories. Oh, yeah, for sure. Let's, let's go ahead and dive into the categories. And um, one that I want to take a look at, I know there's a list that we're going to cover. Uh, I... I'm just staring at airline fares 
and how they are up uh, 42.9% since this time last year. And I think about, you know, having had the privilege to, to be a public speaker and travel to many places prior to the pandemic, when I tell you I've, I've, I've literally spoken in more countries in the past three years than I have in my whole life, it's, it's because of the power of, of Zoom and uh, Internet uh, and not having to travel. But I could just imagine the expense that it would have been to bring me to, uh, I guess most recently it was Europe, um, to bring me to Europe uh, to speak. I mean, it, it's way, way expensive now. Um, I, I hate numbers and math, but 42%, that's a lot. That's like going from $100 ticket to $142 ticket or uh, a $1,000 ticket to uh, $1,400 uh, ticket. So it's it's a lot. Uh, but, but what are you what are your thoughts? Yes, I, I think that's, you know, that's a great example. That's the category that, you know, for the expenditures in this article had the most drastic increase year over year. And when I think about uh, from a business leader's perspective, you know, I would be thinking mostly about, well, how can I reduce travel that's not essential? And it's not really to penalize anybody, but it's simply to try to save money so that maybe that money can be reallocated um, in other areas that will have like a more direct impact to offset some of these other expenses. So a few that I wanted to talk about, well, first let's start with health insurance because the health insurance category increased uh, about 20.6%. That's a huge increase. I would say, you know, I've worked in benefits for uh, just about 25 years. And, you know, the one thing that I always tried to avoid for those uh, annual renewals was a double digit increase, right? So anything 10 or over was like going to be a huge impact. So here we're looking at 20 plus and, you know, as um, you know, somebody who works in this space, it's really concerning because it is important for employees to and workers to have health insurance. But if it's going up drastically, um, then my recommendation is that companies look at how can they mitigate such a large incre increase being passed along to their team as well. Yeah, I could I could think of a few things. Some are maybe these are even shows in and of themselves. Um, Maybe we'll do a show on like how to reevaluate your health insurance budget. But mm -hmm. the first thing is, you know, having really good employee education around the plans that you're offering. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely something that we work uh, through with our customers. Uh, like, hey, making sure people have an awareness of what is a, a plan with a higher deductible? Why is it a higher deductible and lower monthly premium? What can you stack with that to, uh, to help the employee uh, realize some gains, whether that's through um, price decrease or tax savings. And I, I just think of the customer, or not the customer, but the companies out there that, you know, will just offer three plans because that's that's what you do traditionally because mm -hmm. a broker said it's a good idea and um, leave education on the table. Mm -hmm. uh, but the more... Um, you are able to know that you're picking the right plan for the right reasons. It helps make spending money on it that 
that much more um, easy to easy pill to swallow. Uh, so, so there's that. I also think about, um, you know, uh, one of the things that we, we do through the through QSERA and how um, the government does recognize that health insurance costs are increasing. And so they're raising contribution limits to uh, qualified health reimbursement accounts. They're raising contribution limits to FSAs, uh, which are flexible spending accounts. So um, there are so many things that we could talk about to help mitigate this this increase. But you're right, 20%, that's also a huge number. And in light of all of the expense priorities that a company has, you know, you want to do right by your team and have uh, insurance. Uh, but it's it's a hard hard pill to swallow when it's, when it's uh, that expensive. I appreciate that you mentioned that there's there's more than just throwing money at it because you know that is one way to help, but it's not, in my opinion, a sustainable solution. And I think on this topic, before we go on to the next one, you know, I'd just like to say that there's a lot of fine tuning and uh, like layering of different plans that companies may consider to help drive the overall costs down. And I think that that's where having an expert, um, even if you have a broker uh, to come on in and just provide a like unbiased, totally neutral perspective. Um, that's what we do every day. And I think the broker really appreciates having us because we're in the trenches. <laughs> you know, we are working with the employees and have a better finger on the pulse as opposed to, you know, brokers are typically meeting with their clients maybe once, twice, three times a year if they're lucky. So great ideas there. What other categories, Joey, did you want to chat about? Yeah, uh, everybody's favorite, uh, gasoline. I think that's the next category that we'll talk about. Uh, up 17.5% year over year versus this time last year. And um, I think about gas from the standpoint of driving and commuting into work and whether or not we should be forcing people who can work from home to go into the office because mm -hmm. we're just we're telling them, hey, your journey is going to be 17% more expensive, but you know, are we giving out 17% raises? Probably not. But uh but yeah, it, it's more expensive to drive, it's more expensive to fuel our vehicles, our lawnmowers, uh, our homes, if you're on gas-powered homes. Um, yeah, gas-powered boats, <laughs> all of that, it's just it's more expensive. Yeah, gasoline is definitely a painful one I think we can all relate to. And for those workers that are working from home, it's actually a great segue into some of the other categories that I wanted to chat about, which were uh, electricity and uh, utility, so like gas service to your home, because, uh, you know, let's face it, when you're working from home, you're spending more time heating or cooling. And so, you know, when you look at the effect of electricity going up an average of 14% and gas going up an average of 20%, those are huge numbers as well. So uh, I actually have some ideas that I'd love to chat with you about, Joey, on maybe considerations of what companies might be able to do to help their employees offset these costs as well. Yeah, let's hear it. Sure thing. So uh, I think if you were to ask your employees if their monthly bills in these area are higher from working from home, they'd say yes. 
I must admit that when I worked in an office, uh, I didn't really think much about the fact that uh, the heating and air was being provided for free. Um, but now, you know, definitely seeing the increase um, in those bills, I appreciate that, you know, at Jumpstart, we have essentially a work from home stipend. And that is intended to help offset the costs of this being our office. And I think companies that aren't currently providing something of that sort should really consider it because I think in absence of it, there are indirect costs being passed along to the team. And that can sometimes be difficult depending on individuals' financial situation. Yeah, um, the the whole individual financial situation is, is a big thing because even though you know as an employer you you know what a person's salary is, but we may not know the other side of that. Well, we we for sure don't know the other side of that, which is uh, expenses. And you know, um, thankfully, you know, news just passed recently about student loans being uh, uh, payments being extended until I think June of 2023 or something like that. But there are so many expenses that we uh, don't know that people have. And so anything that we can do to offset, uh, you know, at-home expenses are important. And another thing, too, uh, you know, yes, you can say to someone, you know, well, we pay you a good salary. You should be able to work from home and pay the, the additional bills. But I think there's just something um important and special about setting aside a specific stipend for those expenses because it shows that uh, you as an employer are willing to go above and beyond to meet the needs where where there is a demand Um, and also just kind of thinking through the fact that you know a person's salary should be like their take-home pay it's not like to, to to pay the bills or affairs of working so if you're not doing a stipend um, definitely consider it and you know reach out to us if you want to know how to get it done the parting thought that i had on that one joey is a you know specific to california of course because it's quite nuanced in regards to the law surrounding businesses and what they can and or cannot pass along to their workers um, so the laws in california are pretty strict in this regard and you know, I think it's really important to like understand for each individual company, like how the law applies to them, because yes, the law exists, but how it's applied and how it's executed um, can oftentimes be different from company to company. But, you know, oftentimes I have those questions like, okay, well, home internet, like I have a worker in California, do I have to reimburse them for that? Or what about their cell phone? And so now we're kind of talking about utilities, and I think it brings up a good question of, like, in what cases might, you know, might an employer bear some responsibility? So uh, I don't think we have enough time to really dive into that deeply, but I would just say if you're a listener and you have workers in California, it would definitely be wise um, to be thinking about what type of expenses they might be incurring. Um, and whether that's technically permitted by law. Yeah, yeah, because uh, California will will come and get you. And, um, <laughs> you know, we talk with businesses all the time. And for some reason, whether no matter where they are in the U.S., and we work with a lot of multi-state uh, employers, 
I would say somewhere between 85 to 90% of businesses we talk to have an employee in California. So it's if you have an employee, even if you have a freelancer in certain job categories, uh, you may want to pay particular attention to um, how you're compensating and what you're compensating towards if they are working remotely. That's a great one. And I, I know there's a lot of other categories uh, that we didn't get to in this segment of the show, um, but we have a great second half of the show. Before we shift gears, Joey, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on regarding this topic? Well, no, I mean, we, we talked about, you know, our, our dollar is going you know, 2.8% uh, less far than this time last year, all told. Uh, but the message for me is if you're an employer, if you're HR, see, uh, understand that, you know, it is hitting home with your team. So anything you can do to, uh, acknowledge that, uh, whether that's through the performance, um, evaluation process or cost of living increases or whatever the case may be, um, it would be good to have that conversation. Absolutely. Now let's shift gears, shall we? I know you mentioned at the top of the show um, that we had an exciting topic for Consultants Corner. And for those of you that might be new joining our show, Consultants Corner is where Joey and I, uh, we, we take a look at um, questions that have been submitted from our followers or uh, our consultants and or conversations we've had with our clients lately uh, to share a topic that we felt uh, is important for everybody to have some insight into, and hopefully uh, you'll learn something today. I know it's not the lightest topic, uh, but if you are preparing for a RIF, which by the way is HR lingo for a reduction in force, also known as a layoff, uh, we're going to share with you some really important tips um, and some of the most common mistakes, things that you might want to do um, things that you may not want to do in regards to layoffs and severance agreements. All right, so um, let's go ahead and and take it take take it away, Summer. Sure thing. So I, you know, I, I think it's a tough topic because uh, nobody likes to think about um, having to let somebody go from their job, especially when it's a layoff situation. Because you know, let's face it, if somebody's violated a policy. Um, then, you know, it's a pretty clear path that, you know, it would result in them no longer having a job. But when it's a layoff, these workers, they haven't done anything wrong. And so it, it is a very difficult and emotional time. And I would say from the employer standpoint, when these types of events happen to not underestimate the impact of the individuals who are left even after this change, because I think there's so much focus on those that are leaving um, that there's not as much attention of like that effect of those that remain, their concerns and how stressful that can be as well. From a like HR process standpoint, we often work with uh, something called a severance agreement. So um, Joey, I'm sure you've worked with a ton of severance agreements. Um, over the years. And do you want to share with our listeners the kind of the essence of what they are and why they exist? Sure. Uh, I'll try to keep it down the middle because um, 
on one end, on one hand, oh, let's just go for all of it, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> sometimes severance agreements are utilized as like a uh, hush, hush agreement. So, you know, if you let someone go, um, part of the clauses in there will be you can't say um, bad things about the business, you waive your right to sue, so on and so forth. Some of which, like, is actually changing in the legal landscape. So mm-hmm. there are clauses that people may include in a severance agreement that are being challenged and not being upheld uh, in courts. So um, forget that I went down that rabbit trail. But anyway, severance agreements are a, a tool that you utilize when conducting a termination that will uh, summarize how much a person is uh going to receive um, from a financial standpoint uh, upon termination, uh, what the terms of the termination were. Um, it will. It might also include a refresher on any confidentiality agreements that have been signed or um, non-disparagement or anything of, of, of that nature uh, from a legalese standpoint. And typically in a severance agreement, you will get uh, the the recipient will have seven days to sign it legally in, in most cases, and then there's a period in which a uh, person is able to change their mind. Uh, so uh, here in Maryland, it's 21 days, but it could be different in your jurisdiction. Um, so the severance agreement is the uh, the contract that both parties sign at the end of separation. And usually it is if a person is being fired, um, but you can also utilize it if a person is um, voluntarily leaving uh, on their own terms. Yeah, great summary, Joey. And and I wanted to talk about some of the like most common mistakes that I see when we begin working with companies and they share their severance agreement or their um, severance pay practice or policy if they have a formal policy written. And uh, kind of the first thing is, let's say they're looking to part ways with a team member and they want to pay them for the next two weeks and then, you know, just be done. So that's definitely one way that you can approach it. But my, my recommendation is like, why would we give away pay for free? And the reason I say that is because um, a more beneficial approach to the employer would be still give that money as an offer to that parting team member as severance pay, but in exchange, you're asking them to sign the severance agreement, which says they're waiving their right to sue you for a wide variety of potential lawsuits, right? That non-disparagement that you mentioned and provides the company with um, not a watertight protection, but a lot more protections uh, than had they not done it. So again, it's like, well, why would you just give that money away for free? And then kind of almost the same kind of a related mistake that I see is they give the severance agreement and pay the money on the final paycheck, which is not compliant with, in many cases, with Kind of the process of needing to get the severance agreement signed and some of the time frames that uh, in some states are uh, are required so for example there is something called the older 
workers protection. And essentially what this means is that if you are 40 or older, you are afforded additional protections. Um, and how this applies to the severance agreement is because you would you would essentially be waiving some potential rights um, to sue for potential violations of the law related to being an older worker. So all this really boils down to <laughs> is that in some states, uh, those older workers, 40 and over, um, they actually have a 21-day decision period. So they have 21 days to consult with a lawyer um, if they choose to um, look through the severance agreement, fully think through what they are waiving, as opposed to an individual who is under 40, typically is provided seven days. And uh, you know, I've seen some companies offer 14 and even some offer 21. So I think you know, there's kind of a different mindset as to uh, whether they want to offer more, but certainly offering less is um, can be a problem because it's essentially saying like you're not giving this employee a fair chance to consult legal counsel and really think through their legal rights that they're waiving. Yeah, and, and there's so much about this is why we say you know um, when when doing effective HR you can't trust your gut or Google. <laughs> uh, because there's so much about just like that feeling of, hey, I want to wrap this up as soon as possible. Um, let's get the person the letter. Let's get them to sign it, pay out the money, be done with it, move on. Mm -hmm. But to your point, you have to leave room for the legally allowed uh, timeframes to take their course. Uh, so, you know, like you said, the, the 40, if you're 40 and over, you get 21 days. That's not typically how, um, I hear business leaders think about severance. They want something done and completed up and through the last paycheck or the, not the last paycheck, sorry, but the next pay cycle so that they can get that person off the books as soon as they can. Um, but it takes, it takes a little bit more nuance than that. Um. And then another thing that I see uh, folks get wrong on severance agreements is basically just like finding a template online and uh, not, there's nothing wrong with finding a template online. There's everything wrong with finding the template, using it, and not reading what it's for, right? So I've seen, I've seen severance templates that are applicable in Canada. I've seen severance templates that, you know, Maybe the business is in New York, but the template is for a company in Texas. Uh, so you have to be very, very careful if you're doing DIY HR to um, pay attention to the terms and agreements that you are subjecting yourself to holding, and they may not be the ones that you, you want to subject yourself to. Oh my gosh, Joey, I, you, you said DIY HR and suddenly I had visions of like a really bad reality show. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we see that, that reality show. <laughs> oh man, oh man. But it's true. And, you know, I think we touched on it a little bit, but I, I want to reinforce that message that one size does not fit all. And in many cases, uh, some of the details in these agreements do vary from state to state. So I think the takeaway here is that if you do have a template, even if it's been reviewed by legal, 
uh, to ensure that there is a second look uh, if you've hired in a new state that uh, the language is appropriate for that state because they do vary widely um, and you don't want to find yourself in a position where you believe that you have the protections of uh, some sort of lawsuit in a severance agreement only to find out that you don't because you didn't have the appropriate language in there. Uh, so that could be really problematic. And um, talking about like the reduction in force and or severance process as a whole, one of the other most common mistakes that I see is in regards to COBRA continuation. And so for those that aren't super familiar with that term, uh, COBRA is uh, the program that allows employees to continue their uh, employer-sponsored health plans after they've left the company at their own cost. So sometimes companies will say, you know, we want to take care of this employee and pay for their COBRA for whatever amount of time. That's all fine and great. However, um, it's super important that there is that, I call it the line in the sand. Like you need to break away from this employee um, like as clean as possible um, just to ensure that like everybody is being treated the same. And what I mean by that is what you don't want to do is just say, hey, Joey, we'll continue your COBRA. You're good for the next year. You don't need to do anything because that's not the appropriate way to handle it while he still may have coverage or he still may have coverage. Um, the correct way to do it would actually be to have a written agreement of how much would be paid and for what period of time. And then after that, um, employee has left the company, they still have to go through the action of electing COBRA, filling out the forms, sending them in, actually making the payment. And then they send a copy of their receipt back to the company for reimbursement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the process uh, documentation is so key, uh, especially, you know, we're talking about risks. So we're talking about doing this at scale. Um, and another thing that I think about at scale is the idea of trying to churn out all of this paperwork and um, the, the, the errors and the human error that might come along with uh, putting in wrong data for the wrong person. And then uh, on top of you know, the agony of going through you know, losing your job, you then have to go back to HR and say, hey, you know, this this document isn't right please give me the right documentation um so you know we might know a company that helps with processing these things uh, <laughs> aims to to get the to get the data right but uh you know again if, you, if you're doing it yourself or maybe you're listening and you have an hr department just just double check triple check the accuracy of the data that uh is going out in employee communications because once it's out there you know, it's, it's harder to pull back or make adjustments without it being, you know, agonizing. Yep. Rifts are hard. They're hard yeah. for um, those, you know, impacted for sure. They're hard for those that are left behind at the company. And they're hard for everybody involved with making these difficult decisions. And I would say the thing that I learned very early on um, in regards to this in the HR space is just to ensure that even in these difficult situations, you know, individuals will respond differently to, to this type of news. 
Um, but just to ensure that everybody is treated with the utmost like dignity and respect, regardless of their response um, is, you know, I, I think one of the most important things that we can do in these situations. I can't agree more. I can't agree more. So, all right, we, we come to the close of this episode, and um, you know, while these weren't the the, the greatest topics or the most fun topic to to discuss, uh, they do represent you know our current climate, our current work climate, and so uh, one of the values that we have have here is to be part coach, part cheerleader, and so we're going to tell you what you need to know, uh, but we'll provide that information in a way that uh, helps you get through it. And one of the other opportunities of, um, you know, the rifts being out in the marketplace at this point is, you know, you may find some really great talent that's looking for a new home. And if you've been following our podcast over the last 53 episodes and you're building a great workplace culture, maybe someone that's just been let go is waiting for an organization like yours. So uh, we'll, we'll be back next week with another fresh round of uh, topics to tackle. And if you have any thoughts, questions, or anything you want us to consider, reach out to us at hello at jumpstart-hr.com and check out our prior episodes of podcasts and clips on YouTube so that you can be in the know of everything to help build a better workplace at your small business or within your small team. See you later. Thanks, everyone. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with your friends and coworkers. And as always, you can find more info and additional resources at whilewewereworking.com. We're working.com.